Right. Well, welcome to Emmaus Church. This is the fifth Sunday, and um, for years now on fifth Sundays, we've made an intentional effort to, um, to focus on the kids in our community, uh, to embrace them. It's always been important to us here to do things together. Um, our, our philosophy of ministry is not age-specific education only. Separate everybody on Sunday morning and teach them about Jesus. That's, uh, it's important that we do age-appropriate teaching, but if it doesn't come together at some point, we just create these little ghettos, these little age-specific ghettos, and it doesn't, it doesn't help the church in the long run. We need one another. And so we're going to talk about that uh, as part of this series that we're starting today. Let me handle a few things quickly. If you'd like a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a beautiful psalm, not just for funerals. You need to know this psalm. Uh, psalm 23. Also, the sermon notes will help you out. Uh, the ushers have these as well. So go ahead and ask for sermon notes if, um, if you like. There's some things on the back of the page, including an event we're having for lunch today. If you're new to Emmaus, hope you'll stay and have lunch with us. And then if you're brand new today, if this is your first Sunday with us, we'd love to welcome you. Um, just hope that you know that this is a safe place for you to be. We want to walk alongside you. We'd love for you to consider making this your, your church community. We've got this, uh, these freshly roasted bags of coffee beans over here, and it's a real easy deal. Coffee beans for contact information. That's the way it works. Coffee <laughs> beans for contact no, it, the hope is that you feel welcome, that you uh, take something with you that makes you think of us in a positive way throughout the week as you brew coffee. We would love your contact information because uh, that enables us to follow up with you and invite you to stuff like the New to Emmaus um, lunch, which is happening today. All right. Okay, so we're beginning this brand new series today. It's a five-week series. It's called Generations, Experiencing the Goodness of God in Every Season of Life. And here's what I hope to experience or to um, explore together. There's basically two phrases that I hear throughout the week as I share life with all of you and others, and the two phrases have to do with the same thing, but they reflect very different perspectives on the same thing. Both phrases are about this season of life, this season of life. Uh, one phrase is this, we're in a really tough season of life right now. And when people say we're in a really tough season of life right now, what they mean is that they're in a really busy season. They mean that work is really hard. Uh, they mean that they have a newborn at home and they're hardly sleeping. They mean that they have teenagers at home and communication is very challenging. They mean that their adult parents are aging and they're needing a lot more support than they did before. Sometimes they mean really serious things like, uh, not that those aren't serious, but like somebody in the family is sick or somebody has died and they've lost and they're grieving somebody, sometimes they're, they're referring, when they say we're in a really tough season, they're referring to division that is in the family. Um, and so we say this phrase for all kinds of legitimate reasons. We're in a really tough season. There are legitimately tough seasons in life. The other phrase I hear that's similar to that but different isn't said by the individual who's in the season, but it's said by somebody else to the individual, and this is what they say. They say, you're in, you're in a really great season of life. You're in a really great season of life. And they're talking about when you're really busy, and they're talking about when, when work is really active and there's a lot going on, and they're talking about when you got a new baby in your home. And isn't that wonderful? You're in a really great season. And they're talking about when your home is full of activity because of all the teenagers. It's a really great season. 
right? They're talking about uh, when, when your parents are still with you. It's a really great season. So people say this to others, and here's what's interesting. When we're in the season, it feels really challenging, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed with the challenges, but when the season is over, we long for things that we'll never have again. We look back on them, and so we in the season, like I'm in a really tough season, and those who are just past us, who are in the next season, they look back, and, and it's not that they deny that the season is challenging, but they have a different perspective perspective, and they, they, they miss the things that were part of that season. Yes, it's exhausting and difficult and challenging. Every, there are legitimate challenges, and we're not taking anything away from that, but there are also signs and evidences of the goodness of God. Friends, the reality is this. Life is hard, and God is good. Life is hard, and God is good. We experience pain and brokenness all the time. It is a constant and God's goodness is available to us all the time. It's a constant. So I think that one of the ways that a church community can share life together is by gracefully helping one another to recognize the goodness of God in this season of life. Let me say that again. One of the best ways a church community can share life together is by gracefully, underline, bold, by gracefully helping one another recognize the goodness of God right here in this season, every season of life. So in this generation series, we're going to hear from folks who are in different seasons of life. And essentially, the questions that I want to ask people that I share this platform with over the next few weeks are these two questions. What is challenging about your season of life? And what is awesome about your season of life? And the goal would be that this, this conversation, this experience, will enable us to be more compassionate to one another, will enable us to be more encouraged by one another, and ultimately that we'll be more aware, friends, of the goodness of God in each and every season of our life. Today, I've asked Ndali Lester to share the teaching with me, and I'm so excited that you said yes, and I know you've been working hard, and I appreciate that. And uh, we're going to have a little conversation. We, we uh, invite you to listen in, if you'd like. Um, and then uh, I'm going to share a little, and then Dolly's going to teach a bit. Okay, so I have heard amazing stories about the summer from all kinds of people. This summer was a good summer for some folks, but I don't think anybody's summer story tops yours. I love your summer story. You had an amazing summer. Tell us a little bit. Do you need your notes here? Tell us a little bit about what you did this summer. Are these the same as mine? Yes. Okay. So I got the same thing right here. Yeah, well, me and my dad, basically, we just, uh, my dad, since he has a sabbatical last, last summer, mm -hmm. he decided it would be a great year for my rite of passage. So, because I was turning 13, and most countries have a rite of passage when the child, their child turns 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. So he's been planning it for a long time. He says, uh, he's, he told me one day that me and you were going to go from London to Rome on a bike. So I'm that's like, like a, a couple miles, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how many miles is that? Uh, almost a thousand miles. Almost a thousand miles. So, and there's yeah. a little mountain range along that route, right? That you got to go yeah. over. What's that called? It's the Alps. It's the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a little after-school bike ride with Dad. Okay, so tell us why you did this. You said it was part of a rite of passage experience. Can, can you yeah. say anything else about that? 
Well, it was like... Time to preach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a perfect time because like, I was, my dad was out of, I was out of school. My mm -hmm. dad just got his master's degree, so he was done with school. Mm -hmm. He was, he had a sabbatical, so he was done with church for a while. And I was out of school. <laughs> <laughs> was done with work. He was, that's, that's right. he was done with work for He's a while. There we go, there we go. So I was you? done with work, or I was done with school, yeah. and I had nothing, and so it was either like we stayed home and really didn't do anything, or right. we went and cycled across the Alps. <laughs> so like, it, we decided to go cycle across the Alps, because that sounded like a fun idea. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, so it was a fun experience for That's us. That's awesome. That's awesome. And the whole time you're riding with your dad. Yeah. And you're eating with your dad. Yep. And you're sharing little tiny European hotel rooms with your dad. Yep. I was thinking about that and thinking, I don't know, you might never spend that kind of concentrated, uninterrupted time with your dad ever again. That is an amazing thing. What was that like, to spend so much time with your dad? Well, it was fun because we talked a lot about just random stuff. Like, uh, we talked a lot about what was happening in the world. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions. He answered most of my questions. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't think we had really fun because we were just with, like, five, six, seven hours of riding, mm -hmm. just talking about our trip together alongside. And I don't think I'll have that time yeah. like that again for a yeah. while. So beautiful. That's so good. So my favorite story, you shared several stories with me about your summer. <clears throat> and my favorite story that you told me about your 1,000-mile bike ride Mm -hmm. happens in the first mile of the first day. Yes. That was... I love this story. What happened on the first mile of the first day of your 1,000-mile bike ride? So we took our... You know, the, the day before it happened, we took, a, we took a train from London to Canterbury, and we got our pilgrim passports from the Canterbury Cathedral, and we were planning to go to the Canterbury Cathedral before, um, before we started our ride, and there was like a little church service that started at like 8 or 7.30ish or something like that. Okay. So like we decided to get there and you know in London, like it switched. Like like we had to ride on the opposite side of the road so we were mm. confused. Mm -hmm. So me and my dad are, so it's like a rainy, cold, hard day. We're only going 20 miles so we thought it would be an easy day but it apparently wasn't, so. Um, so me and my dad are riding, and we go around this roundabout to get to the place we were going to the Canterbury, Canterbury Cathedral, but like we get on the wrong side of the road, and there's like a bus stop on the other side of us. We didn't know that the bus stop was also like a bike lane, so we're riding, and we're on the barrier side, so like I was trying to get over, and then like there was a bunch of cars passing us, so I got a little freaked out. I looked to turn back, I turn back and my tire goes the opposite direction of my head. Mm -hmm. So my bike hits the barrier and I go flying off my bike. And like it's a big barrier, like three feet. And there's like river, gi giant river rocks. Mm -hmm. So I roll across that and land on the other side. My knee's scraped up. I'm cold. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And I feel like giving up. But yeah, I get off, I get my bike back. It wasn't damaged too much. Mm -hmm. So we ride our bike to the other side of the road. There's a nice guy who's um, stopped so we can cross. But I just felt like giving up there. My dad's like, come on, we gotta, we gotta go. Mm -hmm. So um, we get there, but like, I, it was in pain. Like, 
I couldn't straighten out my leg because it mm -hmm. hurt. So I was walking all awkward. Mm -hmm. And my writing was awkward, too, because it's all wobbly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, That's a crazy way to start. Yes, it was. I you just crashed. felt like... <laughs> Uh, it's like, I don't want to do this, because it was like within like the first half mile, I'm just, I'm on the floor <laughs> on the other side of the road, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love this story. I'm going to tell you two reasons why I love this story, you guys. First, because it's such a great metaphor for this stage of life. It's such a great metaphor. In fact, I think it's a great metaphor for the beginning of anything, the beginning of anything, the beginning of parenting, the beginning of a new relationship. Uh, the beginning of a new project, the beginning of a new business. Starting your faith feels like this sometimes. Beginning to follow Jesus feels like this sometimes. Here's what I mean. Adversity comes early. Adversity comes early. I hear story after story, and in my own life, it's like it's so common for somebody to uh, commit to doing something great, and then right out of the gate, something difficult happens. So many good stories begin with a person who decides they're going to go do something great, but then almost immediately they face real significant adversity. So you start a thousand-mile bike ride over the Alps across Europe with your dad. It's this epic adventure. And then you crash. You come off your bike. You bloody your body within the first mile of the first day of this journey. How many of us have a story that goes something like this? I started and then I crashed. <laughs> right? Does anyone relate to that? I started and I, I took all this time of preparation. It took all this courage. I had to build up to this thing. Preparation, investment, risk. I started and then I crashed right out of the gate. It got hard. Adversity right at the beginning. And Dolly, I think that you're coming off your bike in the first mile of the first day of this thousand-mile journey, it could be one of the best stories of your teenage years. I, it could be one of the most instructive stories of your young adulthood. It might even be one of the best stories you, you get to tell throughout your whole life. I can imagine you years from now in a, in a classroom or before a group of people saying, yeah, so I'm 13 years old and I'm on this thousand-mile journey across three countries and the Alps, and on the first day in the first mile, because in London, they were all backwards. I came off my bike, right? I crashed my bike. Uh, sometimes the biggest setback happens right out of the gate, friends. Sometimes the scariest moment happens right after you say, yes, I'll do it. Sometimes the first day or the first try does not go as we hope. Sometimes the first part of the story is the hardest part of the story. Uh, sometimes we crash on the first mile, on the first day. Uh, the elementary school kids were up here a few minutes ago, and they were reciting the 23rd Psalm, and it begins with such a beautiful vision. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have any needs. I'm lying down by green pastures. There's still waters. My soul is full. And then, bam, all of a sudden, he's, on, he's in the valley of the shadow of death. Did you notice that? Like, where, yes. there's almost no gap right there. It's like, I'm on green pastures. There's still, and then, valley of the shadow. You're two sentences into this psalm, and you're in the valley of death. We're facing the biggest moment of adversity in the whole psalm, and it's right out of the gate. So the first reason I love Indale's story is because this story is a little picture of how life goes. We often face a big challenge right at the beginning. We often crash in the first 
mile of the very first day. And then here's the second reason I love this story, Indali. It's because you didn't quit. It's because you didn't quit, right? You got right back on the bike, even though you were all bloody and the bikes tweaked, you got right back on your bike and you rode the next 999 miles. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep, you did. Did you? Yes, I think that's awesome. Did you crash your bike? Yes, I did. Did it hurt? Yes. Was it scary? Yes. Yes, I know it was scary for your dad, too. He told me all about it. Here comes the bus, and there's my kid on the street, right? <laughs> but then you gather yourself, you face your adversity, and you're like, oh, I'm bleeding, and I'm on this cobblestone on the street, but you kept going. Um, this setback is not going to stop these hopes and these dreams. It's a setback. This isn't going to arrest the whole thing. This setback is not going to define my character. It's not going to define the story. It might be part of the story. It will probably show up as one of the things that I overcame along the way, but I love that you overcame it. I just love it. When you told me we were having a sandwich a month or so ago, I love that you overcame this such a physical, emotional your dad's got all these plans, your family's, there's all this pressure on it, right? And you overcome this adversity right out of the gate at such a young age. And I hope the fact that you overcame that adversity at this age in your life will give you the courage and the confidence to face more adversity and other stages of your life and to overcome those things, right? Because it's going to come again. There's going to be more crashes, yes. right? But you know how to get up. And you know how to keep going. A lot of us have experienced setbacks in business. A lot of us have experienced setbacks in our relationships with our spouses or our family members. We've tried to chase our dreams, and, and then we've crashed in the effort. People often get discouraged early on in their relationships with Jesus. In fact, Jesus even explains this in one part of the gospel. He, he, he's telling this parable about all these different kinds of seed and soil, and he talks about the kind of seed that sprouts really quickly. It like starts really well, and then as soon as the sun comes up, it wilts, right? There's adversity right away. We need to be reminded that adversity often hits early in the process, and even though it's painful and scary and discouraging, we shouldn't quit. We should keep going, because the story's not over, the ride is not over, there's more to come. Amen? Amen. Just a basic principle of life and faith um, that we can share together. All right. I've asked Ndali to share one of the lessons that he learned this summer. That's my favorite story from his summer. Would you, Ndali, would you share, us, share with us for a minute about uh, something that you learned this summer? Yeah, um... Well, what I learned was that God is always, like, God's always there for you, and he, um, so yeah, uh, yeah, me and my dad were cycling, and um, it was a hot day in France right after a really stormy weather, so it was weird, and we were riding on a dirt road, because we decided to take the original path, which takes us through, like, no towns, no cities, but in France, there's, like, nothing open from, like, nine o'clock in the morning till like 10 o'clock at night so like you, you there's no cafes there's no restaurants there's no nothing so and so we're just writing and it's like we're, we run out of food we're out of water like we're tired you want to take a rest but we're halfway done with our ride like 20 25 miles in and we still have like another 20 25 miles to go so we um so we get we're coming down this hill 
and we see this little church cemetery thing because we have these all across France. And we see this one lady coming out of the church and um, we go up to her and ask her if she knows if there's any cafes or restaurants, if there's any drinkable water anywhere. Um, she says there's always always water at the food, like there's always water, the water in the cemeteries is always drinkable because there's a little faucet there. So we fill up our waters. We ask her again if there's any cafes or restaurants. She says no, but like right before we were about to leave because we are going to continue going on, she, say, she says wait, and she's calling someone on her phone. We don't know who she's calling, but then like five, ten minutes later, this car drives up, and um, it's one of her friends, and she comes out and gives us uh, a baguette, some meat, some cheese, and a couple of egos. So like, we're set, and so we're just sitting there yeah. on the um, at the church steps, just thinking of how God. Um, Is this like, where you were right here? Yeah, that's yeah. it. We're just thinking about how God prepared food for us and like um, um, helped us in times of need, and there's, yeah. And there's another example, like, me and my dad were, like, cycling through these, like, dirt, like, rocks and everything. And we, like, normally, like, a 60, 70, like, every 60 to 70 miles, you get a flat and you have to change your tire. Mm -hmm. We got one flat out of the whole trip, and that was towards the end of the trip. Mm -hmm. And then when I come back, I ride off-road for, like, a second, and then, like, both of my tires are flat. <laughs> so I'm like, mm -hmm. so... That's also how God helped us, but I'm like, he, actually, he really shielded us the whole time we were on this road, on this road trip, so, yeah. That's great. That's a great lesson to learn, yeah. You're 13 years old. Tell us one of the things that's challenging about being, people are talking because there's the sign of you guys almost to our church. To Emmaus. We're almost to Emmaus. Almost to Emmaus. What's, what's one of the things that's challenging about being 13? Well, it's a stage of life where you start getting to make your own decisions, like either good decisions or bad decisions, and those decisions will like either help you for the rest of your life or hurt you for the rest of your life. Wow. So like you got to make the right decisions, and like that's when your friends start breaking off, like some hmm. um, like sixth, fifth, and like. Sixth grade is when your friends start breaking off into different branches, but like fifth and below, like they're just, like you're all just, like you're protected and shielded mm -hmm. most of the time from the real world. But like once you get into middle school and start going into high school, like um, you're not as shielded anymore. And like yeah. you, and um, yeah, and it's hard because like when, like right in here, it's like your friends might, like some of your friends might be like going to church and learning, and then your other friends, might be like smoking or drinking, mm -hmm. and like it's hard because like you don't want to be left out. Yeah. So like you sometimes make the wrong decision and go with your friends that are smoking mm -hmm. and drinking, or sometimes you make the right decision and go with your friends that are doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's kind of challenging. It is. Yeah. Almost everybody sees or remembers that time as a challenging time. Yeah. What's one thing that's just awesome about being 13? What's What's a great thing about being 13? Well, this is the time when you start getting more, like, responsibilities. Like, you might start getting your phone, mm -hmm. or you get a wallet, mm -hmm. or <laughs> just anything, like um, getting a little freedom to go outside, like ride your bike around the neighborhood, yeah, or go to your friend's house, mm -hmm. 
or go to the like um, go to the store and get snacks or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like something like that. So um, yeah, and it's also like um, you have you have more decisions. Like you can start babysitting and like starting to get job like a job. Yeah. Like thinking about what you want to like what you want to get a degree in and all that, and yeah. like you get to plan, mm-hmm. start planning for the rest of your life That's around awesome. this age. That's great. That's great. Remember your first bike ride away from the house? <laughs> Remember your first car when you were driving your first car? All by yourself, yeah. Here's a final word to consider in the third chapter of the rule of St. Benedict, which is a, a, a guide for communities, for Christian communities that was written by an Italian monk named Benedict in the 6th century. He addresses this occasional need for a whole community to come together kind of like we're doing right now, to discuss a situation that is affecting the community. The chapter is called Summoning the Brothers for Counsel. Um, And in Benedict's monasteries, rank would be established based on the day you joined the monastery. So there is a lot of Um, a lot of language, a lot of instruction in the rule of St. Benedict about respecting those who are before you, honoring those who are older than you. But then there's this really interesting uh, statement in the third chapter, and it's it's, um, for the gathering of the whole community for the making of decisions that's going to affect the whole church or the whole commune or the whole monastery. And this is what he says. The reason why all should be called for counsel is that the Lord often reveals what is better to the younger. That's what he says. The reason all should be called for counsel is because the Lord often reveals what is better uh, to the younger. I have found, and I imagine that you have also experienced as well, friends, that the value of a multi-generational community like ours is not just that the young get to learn from the old. The value is that the old get to benefit from the hope and the faith of the young. We actually do need each other. We actually do complete one another. God is revealed more fully as our community includes greater diversity of age and background and experience and race and culture and need. God is revealed more fully through the greater diversity of a multi-generational community. God's goodness can be experienced in every season of life. And so the church needs people in every season of life to tell the story of God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We're grateful for uh, the Psalms, the, the expression of the faithful who have followed you in good times and in hard times. And we're grateful for this, this kind of this crashing, this exploding of this dualism that we live with in the West. The good times often are the hard times. The most meaningful days are, are sometimes the, the most challenging days. I'm grateful for a story about a crash on the first mile, on the first day of an unforgettable thousand mile journey and for the way that shaped Ndale, and for the way it shaped me, and for the way it can encourage all of us today. And I pray that our church would be a place uh, where we see one another, and we listen to one another, and we value one another, and we can encourage one another forward, compassionate about the unique challenges 
of this stage, but also uh, carrying this beautiful perspective um, about the goodness of your presence, even in these different seasons of life. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.